This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, everybody, to Episode 9 of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is Brian Calm. Hey! We got a big show this week, lots of players to talk about. Before we get into it, as always, really quickly, I just want to tell you guys about how to get in touch with us. Email us, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. Ask us your fantasy hockey questions. We'll do our best to answer them. You can follow us on Twitter, at keepingcarlson. We tweet all week about various things about fantasy hockey, plus you could tweet at us and ask us your fantasy hockey questions. Again, we'll try our best to answer them. Also, for those of you on iTunes, do us a favor, give us a five-star review on iTunes, okay? We are not ranked number one when you search for fantasy hockey for iTunes podcasts. But we should be. Exactly. So that would be nice. We'd appreciate it. Let's get on with the show. Brian, how was your week last week? I hope it was better than mine. Well, the week before this one was a disaster. Remember, I thought I would drop from first, maybe down to fifth or sixth. I only dropped one place to second, but it sounds a lot better than it is. I'm 12 points behind first. He's up there all by himself, and I've only got three points between me and sixth place, which is the last playoff spot. And with five fewer points, I'd be all the way down in eighth. So things matter this week. I lost my cushion, and so now I have to fight to get it back again. With one day of games left to play in this week's matchup, it's really tight. My offense is back in gear. They have 13 goals to my opponent. Battle start sleek to cuz 7, 23 assists to his 18. Although I'm somehow settling for a tie in power play goals, even though I have five more total goals than he does, and I'm getting destroyed in power play assists. Half of his team's assists have come on the power play. So even though I have five more total, I'm down by five in the power play assist category. It's helped me that Blake Wheeler, P.A. Parento, and even Jordan Stahl, I hope, are starting to find their game. Well, Kimo Timonen, Tobias Enstrom, and Kyle Turris all posted subpar numbers this week, although for the first two, it's sort of been that way all year, so maybe they just posted par numbers. And for my goaltending, which is usually the contentious issue, you'd think posting two shutouts in one week, I got one from McElhenney and one from Josh Harding, and that actually doubles my total shutout number for the year. You'd think those two shutouts would take care of all the other categories on their own, but the exception is when, and I know you're feeling this too, when Semyon Varlamov spots the other team eight goals on 28 shots, which is what happened to me and you. Oh boy, that was not a fun night. So Varlamov negated those two shutouts and then some. And on the other hand, uh, his goalies, my opponent's goalies, were the stars this week, especially in games where I hoped their numbers would suffer. Jonas Hiller against L.A. made 49 saves. Carrie Lettinen against Chicago made 47 saves. 
Meanwhile, again, Varlamov gives up eight goals to Edmonton, so things just didn't really work out my way. I'm hoping I can still pick up the wins category in the final day of games. So what's the overall? Did you win more categories or did you lose more categories? It's 5-5 right now, and if I can pick up one or two more categories, which I'm in striking distance, uh, then that'll turn the tables and keep me second, I hope. Okay, man. Good luck. It's a big day for you. (laughs) Big day. So how about you? I know Varlamov destroyed me. Is that the only thing that went wrong for you this week or was there more to it? No, this is not a good time to be a Toronto Chalupa Batman. This has not been a fun week. That Thursday alone, I'd say cost me the week. The, The Thursday I'm talking about where Varlamov led into eight goals. He led in eight goals against the Edmonton Oilers. And the guy I'm playing this week We all kind of make fun of him because I guess he's an Oilers fan and he has pretty much every Edmonton Oiler. He has Taylor Hall, Jordan Eberle, Nail Yakupov, Justin Schultz, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He basically has the whole Edmonton Oilers power play. So when they score eight goals, he gets a lot of points. Okay, wait. So eight goals and he has their entire first power play unit. How many points did he get on those eight goals? In that one game, he got four goals and four assists and five power play points. And this week, my t- in the totals, I'm losing in goals by three, assists by three, and special teams points by three. So if that game never happened, not even talking about the goalies, I'd be ahead in all of those categories. Plus, that night wasn't even the total of my goalie woes, because in the same night, Antony Yemi played against the Pittsburgh Penguins and got pulled after two periods after letting in four goals. So my total team save percentage right now is 0.8353. And I did some math. Both of my goalies are playing today, Niemi and Varlamov. And if they both get a 35 save shutout, I'll just barely lose (laughs) in save percentage for the week. (laughs) So I don't think it's looking very good. The only category I'm ahead in right now is shots on goal. And aside from that, it looks like I'm going to lose 6-1. to So that makes me sad. But at the same time, there are some bright spots on my team. Mm -hmm. So Patrick Eliash is really earning his spot on my team. I remember wondering if I made a mistake when I activated him from the IR and dropped Clark MacArthur. And maybe it was a mistake to drop Clark MacArthur, but Eliash is definitely holding his own. He had a goal and two assists this week. Also, my stars, Phil Kessel has five points on the week. Kyle Ocposo is back on track. He had two goals and one assist. Also, I'm really happy to report that Alice Goligoski, one of my horrible defensemen from the year, and there's many of them, but he had three assists in three games. So actually a pretty great week for him. But of course, my other defenseman decided to pick up the slack for him with Enstrom getting zero points. Marek Zidlitschke, one measly assist. Jake Muzzin, zero points. So my defenseman overall was still very weak, but at least I'm happy that Goligoski did something. But yeah, not a good week for the Chalupa Batmans, but I predict that next week will be better. I hope so. Varlamov might not put up the numbers all season as he did during the first couple weeks, but I also don't think that eight goals against will be a regular occurrence for him or Niemi. Yeah, you'd think not. Okay, so that's our results for the week. Have you made any moves? I did. I activated Brandon Dubinsky off of injured reserve, which means I dropped Cody Eakin. Oh, yeah? You said last week that you picked him up and you were so excited about him. Yeah, he was really hard to part with and he wasn't the guy I wanted to drop. But at the last second, I guess I I got cold feet. I let him go instead of Marty Havlat, really just because of name value. I figured he'd be easier to find available when I wanted him again. And sure enough, 
We came full circle in one week. I just picked him up today uh, because I had to move Louis Erickson to an IR plus slot after he got his second concussion of the season. That's sad news. Yeah, really unfortunate. It's, I'm happy to have Eakin back on my roster, but I wish it would be under happier circumstances. And I did end up dropping Havlat. I dropped him the second I saw on Twitter. I saw Aaron Portsline write that Sergei Bobrovsky was down and it didn't look good. I had to jump at the chance to grab his backup. And now the Columbus number one for the next four and a half weeks or so, Curtis McElhenney. Even though my goalie situation is pretty sound, we've really seen, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, we've seen some incredible fantasy value from bona fide backups this year. We've seen Scrivens, Jaguar, Justin Peters, Kem Talbot, Frederick Anderson, Marek Mazanek. All these players had about zero fantasy value before either their starter went down or they got a lucky break. And this was my chance to get in on the action. And I have also noticed that the guy who's in first place right now has made it his thing all year to grab these long shot backups and then parlay them into elite scores by trading them with owners desperate for goaltending. And so I hafted it to prevent him from doing that again, and I hafted it for the chance to maybe try it myself in a couple weeks. Yeah, I wonder who you'll be able to get for McElhenney. That would be interesting. Well, I can tell you that he's turned Scrivens, Talbot, and Peters together in two separate trades. He's turned them into Marion Hosa and Miku Koivu and draft pick upgrades for next year. Holy cow. Yeah, so I'm hoping I can do the same. And I I wanted actually to put him on the trading block. Like the second I put him up, I got excited. But I also thought there would be bad (laughs) optics. And you, did you do anything to resolve or or shake up anything on your roster this week? Nothing too big. I had the bad news that Henrik Zetterberg got injured and he should be out for at least two weeks, which I'd say isn't too bad, but obviously that's a big blow to my team. I was looking at the free agents. I was deciding between a few interesting choices. There was Thomas Fleischman was available, as was Cody Eakin, the guy you had been telling me was good. Derek Roy was available. I ended up picking up David DeHarnay. Okay. Even though you recommended that I shouldn't. You said I should take Fleischman or Roy. Maybe I should have listened to you. I kind of had this idea in my head that there's a bunch of Habs fans in my league, and I might be able to trade him to one of them if he stayed hot. And so far that hasn't really happened. Since I picked him up, he's played three games, and he has one goal and two shots. So that might have been a blunder. But at the same time, he's still playing on a good line in Montreal, and overall, he has been doing pretty well over his past ten so games. I think he has, like, seven points. What do you think? Did I blow it big time? I think so. I mean, he's been strong, and even if he picks up the pace that we would have expected from him at the beginning of the year, I still think he's on a different level than Thomas Fleischman. And by different, I mean lower. And probably slightly lower than Derek Roy, too, with the situation that Roy's in in St. Louis right now. Yeah, okay. From now on, I need to listen to you. And the silver lining, though, is that hopefully Zetterberg will just come back soon. I'll drop DeHarnay, and we'll just forget this ever happened. Forgive and forget. Let's move on to some listener emails and messages. Thanks, everyone, who messaged in to us. Again, it was at Keeping Carlson on Twitter, keepingcarlson at gmail.com by email. And also, I posted on Reddit on the Fantasy Hockey subreddit, which I think is a great place to go if you want to get daily fantasy hockey advice. Uh, I asked if anyone on there had any questions, and we got a few. So we'll get to as many as we can. Let's start on Twitter. 
The Disciple 11 asked, head-to-head points, Voinov, Russell, or Johnson? So another defense question. I'm assuming he means Jack Johnson. Who do you like of the three, Brian? I assumed Jack Johnson, too. And if he is talking about Jack Johnson, we should take him out of the equation right away. We've talked about him on the show before. Elon, you traded him away in a deal to get Tobias Enstrom. His fantasy value is just about zero. He has five points in 29 games. And he's not only pointless... uh, but he's also harmful. He has a minus 13 rating. So let's look at the other two. We have Slava Voinov. He's the one of the three who was supposed to have the greatest upside this year after scoring 38 points in 66 career games coming into the season, but he hasn't found the opportunity or consistency to keep that up. He was pretty steady in November, except he's currently in his third stretch of the season in which he's gone five games without a point. Chris Russell, on the other hand, hasn't stayed off the score sheet for more than three consecutive games ever since he started the season with a five-game slump. He's seeing more power play time and less shorthanded time than Voinov, and he's finally doing what he was kind of expected to do in St. Louis and Columbus over the last several years. I had actually drafted him as a sleeper maybe like three or four years ago. I guess I jumped the gun there, Uh, but now might be a good time to bank on him. I don't know if he stays better than Voinov for the rest of the year, but for the immediate future, he's the clear guy to pick of these three. Yeah, just like you were saying, I guess, with the backup goalies, there's a lot of players this year who you never would have thought to take in the draft that are now clear choices. Like at draft time, Voinov over Russell would have been so obvious. But now, yeah, this Chris Russell is really doing well. Do you think that he'll keep it up once, if ever, both Giordano and Weidman are both playing for the Flames? Well, this is his big chance, right? And no, I don't think. I think he's got a long enough career for us to see what he's capable of. Maybe 20, 25 point pace over an 82 game season. So prorate that over however much time is left when one or both of those guys come back. And that's probably what you can expect out of him. Let's move on to a couple of emails Aiden wrote in about his goalie situation, so his league doesn't have IR spots, so both Quick and Rene are sitting in the free agent pool, and he says his current goalie situation is Varlamov, Backstrom, and Scrivens. Should he drop one or two of those goalies and get them onto his team? So that's, like, I think a very interesting question. What do you do when you have these all-star goalies that you know are going to help you later in the season, but is it worth it to take the hit now? What's your stance on this, Brian? You know, it depends on the format of your league. If you're in a roto league that counts wins and saves, you'd be in trouble not collecting on those categories for a little while. But if you're in a roto league that doesn't count those or you're in a head-to-head league, you'll take a minor short-term hit and hopefully get major long-term gain if you do that strategy. And of your three goalies, I would almost definitely drop Backstrom and grab the one of those two that is most likely to return soonest. And Elon, do you happen to know who that is between Quick and Rene? So yeah, I was looking into that this morning. It seems like Rene is just going to be able to start working out in a couple of weeks. And Quick, people were saying, should be back by Christmas time. So my guess is that Jonathan Quick will be back by January, let's say, which is a lot sooner than you should expect for Rene. Hope that helps, Aiden. I want to mention also Aiden included his team name in his email, which I really like. He is the coach of Pimping Ain't Parisi. Nice. So yeah, good luck, Aiden. Let's move on now to some of the questions asked on the Fantasy Hockey subreddit. So you go to reddit.com slash r slash fantasy hockey. Great place to be. 
Question by Moosehead88. Do you guys have any insight into trading top elite players, i.e. Kane, Vanek, or Malkin, to shake up a slumping team? Is it worth moving one elite for two well-rounded players? I'm in a head-to-head league, goals, assists, shots, plus, minus, and power play points. That's a great question, Moosehead, and this actually applies to another emailer we had this week. So Ben R., listen up, Ben R. mentioned... He, he's having some a hard time with his roster, he, and he's got Eric Stahl, Patrice Bergeron, and Ryan Miller not doing what he hoped they would do for him. So I guess this applies to, to both of you. And I guess what I would say is that a fantasy team, obviously, doesn't work quite the same as a real one. If you trade one player from your fantasy roster, it's going to have zero impact on the rest of your team. And I'm usually against trading for the sake of trading, but I do understand you know, that impatient feeling that you just have to do something when things aren't going your way. So the guys Moosehead mentioned, assuming it's Patrick Kane, Kane and Malkin, I would never consider moving, except maybe I would Vonick. And my tip to Moosehead and to Ben R would be that if you are going to trade them, trade them as if they are producing at their peak level. You have to get a return that will at the very least match their best possible production. Now that's a hard thing to do, especially for a player like Bergeron who's slumping and Vonick is maybe still finding his way in Long Island. But it is possible if you find the right trading partner and you do it really carefully. I would say if you have an elite player unless you can get someone to really overpay or address a huge need in your roster I favor hanging on to them. Like I said, don't just trade for the sake of trading. Try and make sure that there really is something tangible that you're going to get out of the deal. Okay, so my question to you, Brian, is let's say you don't have a slumping team. I'm just talking now, you're in a regular situation. What do you think in general about giving away one elite player for two really good players? Like, let's say, for example, I was to trade away Malkin and get back... Uh, I don't even know, Matt Duchesne and Tyler Sagan. You know, is that a good deal for me or do I want to hold on to Malkin? Assuming all players are healthy. Yeah, I think it's a good deal. I think the most basic way to calculate this is look at the point per game pace of the player you're trading away. Don't just use the last 30 games. Use their career history. Make an educated guess about where they should be producing. Maybe an average taken over the last three years. So find their point per game pace then try and find two guys to trade for whose point-per-game pace over the same period equals or exceeds that number. If you can get two players back whose point-per-game pace combined exceeds, say, Malkin's or Kane's or Vonick's or Bergeron's, then it's a good deal. But is it that simple? Because if you're using now two roster spots to get those points that you could have had with just one roster spot, then that's less spots that you could fill in with other people. You know what I mean? Well, that's a really good point. I guess it does depend on the economy of your roster. If you have someone like I did, like Marty Havlat, who you're just waiting for the first chance to drop, then it's not going to hurt you. But if there is nobody on your team that you're ready or eager to cut ties with, then yeah, think twice before doing that. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. I don't think it's as simple as just adding the points of both sides. I think there is value of having your points concentrated in one slot. And like you say, you know, if you have someone that you're able to drop, maybe that makes sense. But also you have to think maybe more long term, maybe in the future, you will be able to find someone else to take the spot that brings the value of your star player plus that extra guy over the two others. Who knows? But very interesting question. I'd be curious to know what other listeners think about that. Me too. Staying with Reddit. Actonisinone, 
Cool name, dude. <laughs> Hang on, Elon. I think it's it's pretty clear it's Act One, Scene One. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. Act One, Scene One has two interesting questions. First, he asks Edmonton, will they continue to produce or are they simply going through a streak? This question touches a nerve for me, as you know from when I said how things went this week. It'll be very frustrating if your answer is, no, they're just good when the Edmonton guy plays you, and aside from that, they're not that great. What do you think, Brian? Uh-oh. Well, I don't know. They they hung eight on Colorado, and that's not going to happen too often to them or anyone else in the league, although they did score seven versus Columbus a couple weeks prior. But if you look at their last five games, there's the one versus the Avs, that's the only one of those five in which they scored more than two goals. They're averaging just over two and a half goals for per game, which puts them right in the middle of the league. With almost 40% of the season spoken for, I don't think they'll deviate much from that scoring pace. Although if Yakupov and Gagne get something going, maybe they could bump it slightly. That's a big if, though. It is a big if. It shouldn't have been at the beginning of the year. Yeah, do you think Yakupov could potentially become the next Alexander Degla? No, it's way too early. I've seen, did you see that? I saw that somewhere else. I saw somebody ask that question. That's silly. Let, let's not go there yet. Okay, just asking. Jeez. If he was Canadian, would you say that? <laughs> Degla is Canadian. Yeah, well, how many years did it take you to acknowledge Deg? All right, moving on. His other question Matt Molson and the Sabres, still fantasy relevant? So there was that big trade, Vanek for Molson, and it seemed like Matt Molson got the short end of the stick there, going to this team that never scores. Then he started scoring at first, but now he seems to have cooled down. What do you think about Matt Molson? Yeah, I mean, overall, during his time in Buffalo, he's still scoring at a pace of about two points for every three games he plays which isn't a whole lot worse, maybe about 15% less than what he was doing in Long Island over the first 11 games of the year. But if you do zoom in on just his last 10 games, he has only two goals and one assist in that span, which is way out of character for him and probably just a killer to his owners who drafted him thinking he'd play next to Tavares all year. He's still fantasy relevant. Someone has to score goals for Buffalo, and a lot of them have appeared unwilling to do so. But <laughs> he's less relevant than before. I would generally steer clear of any Buffalo Sabre. And it, it really is. It's just a, a punch in the gut to anyone who has Molson. It would be like if Tyler Bozak or maybe even Chris Kunitz got traded. Although a lot of people say Kunitz has the talent by himself. And he was good in Anaheim before Crosby. But I would be curious to see what happened if he was traded to the Buffalo Sabres. So who would you say at this point is going to be the leading scorer on the Buffalo Sabres? Well, their third leading scorer right now, tied for third, actually, is Zemgis Gergensens. He has nine <laughs> points in 29 games. No, he's good. He's got, the, he's got an, a fantastic name, and he's really good. But it tells you something that their fourth leading scorer has nine points in 29 games. And actually tied with him for fourth on the team is Thomas Vanek who did the same thing, nine points in 13 games. So there's not a lot of hope when that's at the top end. Uh, Cody Hodgson leads the team right now with 18 points in 30 games. And I guess I would expect him to keep doing that. Molson has 11 points in about half that time. But like we said, he's not producing at the same pace he was when he came over to Buffalo. So my money would be on 
Cody Hodgson or Matt Molson. But either way, I wouldn't want either one on my team. Next question from Reddit. On Letting Go asks Alex Semen, is he worth taking up a spot on your roster if your IR is full since he appears to be nearing a return? So is it worth it to take Semen even if you're not going to be able to put him on the IR? Yes. Absolutely. Nine points in 20 games played before being concussed doesn't look so great, but he's not a player that should be left to waste away in a pool of free agents. Just last year, he had 44 points in 44 games played, which was his first season with Carolina. It was also the third time in the last five years that he has scored at a point per game pace or higher. Obviously, this decision also depends on your league format, but assuming that your league is more than 24 words deep, I would take him quick before anybody else does. Okay, and last question that I want to read to you, Sergei Bobrovsky and where he's going to end up when he comes back. So this is from Matelik on Reddit. So yeah, Bobrovsky definitely hasn't been having a duplicate of his Vesna season from last year. Where do you say he goes once he comes back from injury? Well, where else other than the number one position in Columbus? They've committed to him as a franchise cornerstone. Beyond that, his numbers may not reach quite what you were saying about his Vesna year, but I have faith that he'll still be north of, of 9-10 and put him at worst in the middle of the pack amongst goalies who see as much ice time as he does. So thanks, everyone, for all of your questions. It was really fun going through them. Sorry if we didn't get to yours. We try to keep this to like a 40-minute podcast, but we'll definitely get to more next week. And yeah, keep them coming. And if you do want to ask us a question, Elon's already told you the ways. Try and include your team name if you can, and also the format of your league and the stat categories will also help too. We're approaching the end of the show, but we cannot approach the end without first doing our signature Keeping Carlson segment, snoozers. Brian, everyone wants to know who is the hashtag snoozer of the week. I've got two for you this week. The first one is Michael Borneval. Does it ring a bell? Yeah, I think one of the Habs fans in my pool picked him up at some point and still has him on her team. Ah, uh, hopefully she doesn't listen to the podcast, but that's exactly what I was thinking when I named him a snoozer. Well, the Habs rookie stormed into the NHL, scoring six goals and four assists in a 12-game period that spanned about three and a half weeks. During that time, he saw about 13 to 17 minutes of ice time each game, including a fair share on the power play. So he was putting up points and had relevance in his ice time. But... Only twice in his last 17 games has he seen more than 60 seconds on the man advantage. Only two times in the last 17 games. And on top of that, his ice time recently stayed below 10 minutes for eight games in a row. Oh, no. And all this, of course, has shown up in his numbers, where since November 12th, he has only one goal and one assist in 12 games played, including nothing at all over his last seven. Time to stop snoozing on Michael Borneval. Yeah, honestly, if you still have Berneval in your lineup, let's go. Come on. Let's take this seriously. This isn't a game. This is serious. And then the second one I've got to share today is Martin Brodeur. Who's that? Well, he's, he's a goalie for the New Jersey Devils. And I think that's how you say his name, Brodeur. He surprised everyone uh, this year. Recently, he posted five wins and a 932 save percentage and a goals against average well under two in the month of November. And all those numbers included a stretch 
where he was above a 9.33 save percentage in six of seven games, which is really impressive for any goalie, let alone Brodeur. It made his numbers look real pretty, but they are crashing back down to where we would have expected. Right now, he's got a 9.05 save percentage and only one win in his last five tries. And sure, you could argue that the devils in front of him are partly to blame, but he's not at all innocent. Outside of that seven-game run that I just mentioned, he's cracked 900 only once in his other 10 starts. In his last three, he hasn't even had a save percentage above 875. Trade him now if you still can, because this, unfortunately, is now the real Marty Brodeur. Right. And you say now. Obviously, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's had an amazing career. But at this point, if you could maybe get Schneider, he might be the better devil goalie to own. Yes, he's definitely in the twilight. And I think people were surprised at how much they were splitting time. But Brodeur's current true colors are starting to show. And Schneider is really the viable option if you have a New Jersey goaltender. All right, so now it's that time again where we close out the show with Brian's lightning round of players of note. So let's go 30 seconds per player. Give her. Okay, let's start off by calling back to last episode. We gave our listeners the heads up on Nick Felino, and I would just like to happily report that he has made us look pretty smart. In two games this week, he's got two goals, one assist, a plus two rating, and eight shots on goal. And those two goals, one was a power play goal and one was a game-winning goal. So if you won or lost any of your categories by this much this week, Foligno's surge either was or could have been the difference. Let's give fair time here. I bragged a little bit about Nick Foligno, so let's do a little about face about Roman Josie. He decided to start showing up just days after I dropped him. Uh, We snoozed together, he and I, through his first 16 games, but in his last four, he's got a goal, two assists, 16 shot blocks, and 12 shots on goal. I wouldn't run out and get him still, but if you need a depth D-man, then he's a reasonable option if he even keeps this up a little bit. Okay, so Felino and perhaps Josie are both people you might want to take a look at. Anybody else? Yeah, Thomas Tatar who I think everybody has heard his name this year. And you might remember him from a spectacular goal and performance at the World Juniors, maybe three years ago now. He's stepping up now that he's been given his opportunity in Detroit, which came when their current rash of injuries began. He had a measly six points in his first 17 games this season, but he's more than doubled that total in his last six games alone with four goals, three assists, and two power play goals. The thing about him is I haven't noticed a real significant change in any of his underlying numbers, say his zone starts, his power play time, or even his line mates. He's still playing with Joachim Anderson and Drew Miller. So maybe this is just a sign that he's beginning to get it and is figuring out how to be a consistent producer at the NHL level. How do you see him doing going forward? You know, I don't know. Like I said, nothing really seems to have changed except maybe he feels like there's more opportunity with Zetterberg and Datsuk both being hurt. Maybe they're leaning on him a little more heavily. But like I said, his underlying numbers aren't changing much. So I think maybe, obviously, his current pace is a little too much to expect, but maybe to begin considering him as a consistent scorer, someone who will get you regular points. If you're in a depth league, he's definitely worth a pickup and ride him as long as the streak goes and then see what happens from there. And you asked what would happen from there. I don't really know yet. We'll have to wait and see. 
who would you rather have, him or David DeHarnay? David DeHarnay, because he's done it before. I mean, he hasn't been very impressive this season, but at least I've seen in the past what he's capable of. All right. All right. Okay, one more. Devin Setaguchi. In case you haven't noticed, Devin Setaguchi has picked up his game since having an abysmal start to the season. After the first 14 games, he had only two goals and three assists, but in the 16 games since, he's grabbed five goals and six assists for 11 points. He's also shooting the puck a little bit more. He has four or more shots on goal three times in his last nine games. Setaguchi I've always found interesting. Last year, I remember there was a stretch where he was on Minnesota and getting a whole bunch of points, but hardly getting any minutes. And so it seemed pretty weird. Why would I take him? It seems like this must just be luck. Now he's on Winnipeg. He's getting more time. He's doing okay. Is this guy actually worth picking up, would you say? Yeah, in a semi-deep league, I think he's worth a look. He's probably in the free agent pool. And if you haven't looked at your roster for a while and you can find someone who's letting you down a lot recently, who's slumping, and you have, you know, that I've talked about before, that sort of exchangeable fluid roster spot where you can always sort of drop a guy who's done streaking and pick up a guy who's maybe just starting, uh, use that to grab him. You mentioned his ice time. He's getting about Uh, almost a minute and a half more on average on ice per game this year with the Jets than he was last year with the Wild. All right. Thanks, Brian, for that great roundup. And that is going to conclude the show. I want to thank all of our listeners for listening to the podcast and especially the ones who have given us a five-star review on iTunes. Anyone who has emailed us at keepingcarlson at gmail.com or followed us on Twitter at keepingcarlson, messaged us on Reddit. We love hearing from you. We want to help you win your pools. So help us help you. Let's cue that theme music. Also, really quick, extraskater.com, leftwinglock.com, Dauber Hockey's Frozen Pool. These are the sites we use to get our fantasy hockey answers and the answers we provide on the show. So I definitely recommend checking it out if you want to have an edge in your pools. Brian, I will talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Elon.